Father, I thank you for your word in that in this moment uh, that we're not left to especially my wisdom um, or, or any of ours collectively even. But God, you speak and have spoken through your word in the power of your Holy Spirit. So God, our desire and our need right now is to be changed, to be shaped and molded. Some to come to faith in Christ for the first time. Some, as we continue to walk in faith, uh, to be shaped to look like Christ. And so I pray that you would continue that work in this place at this moment. God, where our weakness exists, your strength is infinite. So we trust you and we trust that. We trust your Holy Spirit to work and speak and move. We pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. So I have a, a prop this morning. This is a shoestring. And in and of itself, it doesn't do, I mean it ties your shoes, but it's not in a shoe right now. So in and of itself, it doesn't do much, right? Uh, it, like if I think about trying to knock this water bottle over, I'm going to have a hard time trying to do that with a shoestring, Okay because there's not much to this. It's kind of loose. It doesn't really have any weight to it at all. Um, yeah, it's just there. If I put this weight on it, however, now there's some tension in this shoestring. It's not real flexible. That weight is pulling on it, and then because of the weight, now the shoestring gets some function. And I can take this, and knock that off quite easily. Now, what did that? Was it the weight or was it the shoestring? Yes, it was both. In the passage that we come to this morning in Philippians chapter 2, there is some tension in the passage, just like there's tension in that string. And it's a question of what's at work? Is it God or is it us? And the answer to that is yes. It is both. Before we read these verses, you, you need to understand a, a little bit about Paul and where he's at when he's writing these. I don't mean where he's at geographically. I mean where he's at spiritually and relationally. The Philippian people are a people that he had come to on his missionary journey, and he shared the gospel with. Uh, the first person that he encountered uh, was a, well, people, is a group of women, uh, and he shared the gospel with them, and out of that, Lydia became a follower of Christ. Uh, and so she's the first convert in Philippi. And then Paul uh, goes in, and he's teaching in that town. Uh, he ends up getting thrown in jail, in prison. And while in there, because of the way that he conducts himself and the witness and the spirit with, that's at work in Paul, you have the Philippian jailer that comes to Christ. And all this is in Acts, I think it's 16. And so from these two converts, then Paul sticks around a little bit and is teaching the people and, and really becomes a friend to them, a companion with them. And, and those early converts become... Um, become church workers, and, and they're doing the work, kind of like this guy in the video in Quebec, 
doing the work of sharing the gospel, of starting the church, of of doing the work of the ministry in that place. And, And so there's a deep love for Paul for those people and a deep love from those people for Paul because of the way that God had used him when he was there. And so when Paul's writing this letter, unlike many of his other letters, he's not writing to correct them necessarily. He's not writing to, uh, to counteract some false ideas or false doctrine. He's writing mainly to encourage them and, and to give them a little bit of instruction, but really to say, man, keep on. Let the gospel be at work in you. Let Christ be at work. Follow him. Be like him. And he's writing to encourage them. And so that's kind of where we come to when we come to Philippians chapter 2. Uh, and, and we're just going to look at verses 12 and 13. It says, Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now, not only as in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. It is God who works in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. In these verses, we see that God's work in us is the fuel that makes all of our own efforts possible and effective to become like Jesus. God is the fuel in us that takes all of our efforts and makes them possible and effective to be more like Jesus. The first thing that we see that I want to encourage you on this morning, this year in 2020, if you're thinking about resolutions, which maybe you're not even there yet, we're not there yet. We've not thought this far in front of our face. And by we, I mean Sandy and I. Maybe you're there. If not, you will be soon, at least hearing about people making resolutions and and people asking you, do you have any? What are your resolutions? So what I want to encourage you with, losing weight is good or exercising and being in shape or keeping the house clean or being more organized, or whatever you resolve to do. None of those things are bad things. I want to encourage you, above all else, resolve to be more like Jesus this year. Resolve to be more like Jesus. That's These two verses aren't talking about New Year's resolutions, okay? But that's the aim of these verses. When he says, work out your salvation with fear and trembling, he's saying, be more like Jesus. The process of being saved, work that out. And so the first thing we see in that is that salvation is a process. Right before this, in Philippians chapter 1 and verse 6, he reminds us that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion. Pointing to the idea that When Christ begins the work of salvation in us, when we trust him in faith, that's not like a, hey, I did that when I was eight years old thing, so I'm good. Like it was a one-time deal, now it's just reality. It's an ongoing process that we continue to work that out. We are walking out the process of salvation. God is working in us the process of salvation. So what do I mean by that? Because most of the time, I think we think of it as salvation. I was saved when. Is that fair to say, generally? We think of it at one point in time, I was saved when, you know, I was in this church, or I prayed this prayer, or I was this old. We are being saved. Now, let me just clarify for the sake of it. 
I'm not saying that you can get on the train and fall off of the train. Okay? Not in a sense of we're being saved, but maybe we exit that process at some point. When you're in that process, he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion. Once that work begins in us, there's no falling off that train. Salvation is happening, and there's no, well, if I stop, then I'm not being saved anymore. No. You are being saved. It's a process. Romans 8, 29 and 30 says, For those whom he foreknew, meaning God, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, being more like Jesus, in order that the firstborn, they may be the firstborn among many brothers. Those whom he predestined, he called. Those whom he called, he justified. Those whom he justified, he also glorified. That whole thing at the end, those whom he predestined, he called. Those whom he called, he justified. Those whom he justified, he also glorifies. It's that process. Glorification happening when we die and we go to be in heaven before the throne of God and made perfect forever. That's the end of that process. That's the completion that Romans or Philippians 1, 6 is talking about. We'll bring it to completion when we stand before the Lord made perfect through Christ's righteousness because of our faith in him. That is the point of completion. But it's a process along the way. So the question is, have you begun in the process? Have you come to the point where you realized, I'm in desperate need of some help? Because according to my way, as I walk according to me, we used a phrase earlier in one of the Sunday school classes that I was sitting in, you do you. And I said, I want to suggest maybe a slight modification to that phrase. Let's, let's say you do Jesus, because if you do you and I do me, and I follow my desires and my wants and my feelings and my passions, that's going to lead me away from Christ because my nature at its base level is sin. All of us, from the time we are born until the time we die, our nature originally is bent towards sin. And I've said this before, and I'll say it again, I'll say it many times, you don't have to look any further than a two-year-old to figure that out or an 18-month-old, you spend a little bit of time around little kids like that, and you'll realize these kids are hoodlums. <laughs> what I mean by that is, if you take a toy from them that they think is theirs, and it's only theirs because they are holding it in their hand, you, no, don't do that. Give me that back. I mean, they're selfish. And then if you ask, did you do that? Did you hit him because he took that from you? No, I didn't. I didn't hit him. Or we just, we experience this on a daily basis at our house. Come here. No. Excuse me? No, because... They want to do their own way. We want to do our own thing. Our nature is sin. And we all have to come to the point where we realize that. And we realize that God is perfect and in his perfection and in his justice, he must punish sin. Not because he doesn't love us, not because he doesn't love people, because he's just. Just like any judge, 
if they don't enact justice, is not being a judge. God is a perfect judge. And so our sin and his justice leads us to deserving justice, unless something else changes. And that thing that has changed is that God sent Jesus to die on a cross to be executed, not for his own sin, but for ours. Our sin put him on the cross. We would have, if we were in the crowd, yelled, crucify him on the day of his sentencing. And nothing that we could ever do in our life can make up for that, can make up for sin. We can't, amidst our sin, we can't go, man, I better spend the next 30 years feeding a lot of homeless people and serving up a lot of food and giving a lot of money away I better hold doors open. I better be real nice to anybody. I better tip well when I eat at a restaurant. I better love my kids well. None of that will make up for our sin before God. We can't do enough good things to make up for the sin that we've committed against Him. We have to come to that understanding and realize that Jesus is the only way to fix that. We trust that He died on our behalf and that the only way for God's justice to be satisfied is to point to Jesus for that justice and realize that God punished him on our behalf so that he could show grace to us to not give us what we deserve because he's given Jesus what he doesn't deserve. So we trust that. And when you come to the point where you say, I'm a sinner in desperate need of forgiveness, in desperate need of help, and I realize that Jesus is the only way, not the 330 million Hindu gods who've done nothing, but Jesus came and lived perfect and died on our behalf. You trust that in him. You turn away from you. That's the beginning of that process. Faith in Jesus. That you believe. Beyond that, if you've begun, where are you at in the process? Today, now in becoming more like Jesus, in working out your salvation with fear and trembling? Have you started, and where are you at in the process? This idea of working it out, it means to work to bring to completion or final completion. It's like this. Um, anybody in here fire builders? Like, we in Weatherford, our house had a wood-burning fireplace. And if you don't know this, my background prior to being a pastor is a fire protection engineer. Uh, so I went to school at OSU Fire Protection Engineering. And so I'm not a pyro per se. Uh, I just enjoy it. I enjoy fire. <laughs> and preventing it, keeping us safe from it. Anyway, if you, if you like building a fire, you know building a fire, especially in a fireplace, a campfire, you can begin with a perfectly structural fire structural beginnings, right? You have your fuel, your fuel's arranged in such a way that air can get to it, because if it's too closed off, you can't get any air. And part of the fire process, you need fuel, heat, air, and then a chemical chain reaction that brings all of those things together and starts the process. You could build a fire, and it's structurally right. You light it, and it starts going. If you don't maintain that, if you don't poke at it and prod at it and move stuff around because wood, especially when it burns, it breaks apart, it falls over, 
And so if you don't keep that together and keep the heat together and keep the oxygen coming in, the fire is going to die out, right? Or it's going to get really low. You've got to maintain it. You've got to put work into that. The same, that's what Scripture is pointing us to here. We work out our salvation with fear and trembling. So what does that look like before the, the fear and trembling part? What does it look like? Well, it looks like a few things, I think, just practically speaking. We've got to be in God's Word daily. Each, each of us, not me as pastor, all of us, me as just person, James Pauline, you, you need God's Word. It's, it's like food for you. Uh, if you don't know who this is, John Piper uh, was a preacher for a long time at Bethlehem Baptist up in Minneapolis, Minnesota. Written a bunch of books, speaks at a bunch of conferences. And I was at a conference about two years ago and he was sharing, and the question that he was answering was, if you could talk to 22-year-old John Piper right now, and he's, I think, in his 60s, maybe close to 70, what would you tell your 22-year-old self right now? And he would say, he would say, I would tell me to read the Bible more. And this is not a guy who's neglected reading his Bible. One of the reasons I love him and love listening to him preach is because he has a passion and a conviction about God's word that I think is contagious. And yet he would look back at his 20-year-old self and say, 20-year-old John Piper, read your Bible more. Yes, you cannot, I cannot spend enough time in God's word. If we want to know what does it look like to be more like Jesus, the answer is right here. And we could talk and we could read some books and there are authors who are good, even John Piper. But at the end of the day, this is the answer to the question, what does Jesus look like, and how does my life look like his? How should it look like his? We've got to be reading his word. Beyond that, man, I would say, join a D group. Or, excuse me, not a D group. That's what we used in Weatherford. A small group, a village group, Sunday nights. We've got village groups that meet around town at people's houses. You've got a Sunday schools that meet here in the morning at either 9, 9.15, 9.30, somewhere around in there. That's another, anyway. Printed, I think it says 9.15. Join a Sunday school and get together and study, and, and more than just studying God's Word, but enjoy one another's company, share life with each other in Sunday school, in village groups, do life together. We need each other to push each other to be more like Jesus. I can't do it on my own. You can't do it on your own. We need one another. We need God's Word. Engage in that, and here's the other thing. We need to be serving. Me, you, there are some of you that I'm staring at, and I'm not staring at anybody in particular, everybody, okay? There's some of you that I'm staring at that serve too much. Like, you will wear yourselves out if you continue at the pace that you're at. But it's because some of the others of us haven't stepped up to fill some holes, and so those people who will say yes to anything continue to step in and fill those holes, all of us in some area or place within the church, we need to be serving, not as a way to make up for our sin. We don't come to church. We don't serve in church as a way to make up for our sin. We come because Jesus has changed us and is motivating us from the inside out to be like him, to love people and serve people like he did. 
So you need to be engaged somewhere in serving within the church, in our town as well. So the question is, where are you serving presently, currently? That's mainly, if you're a member, where are you serving? We can use help in the kids' area. We can always use Sunday school leadership as we train and work up. Engage in village groups. Listen, if you need a place, we will find you a place. I promise. You come to me and, and say, I'm willing to do something. I'm willing to engage. I'm willing to serve. Guys, we need to serve and love one another. And lastly, I would ask this. Who in your life ha- are you presently loving that is not a believer in Christ? Not for the sake of them being a project, but for the sake of sharing the gospel with them, living life before them, and living out how Jesus has changed you? Who have you brought in in close proximity to your life and is living out the gospel before them. And by living out, I don't just mean trying to be good in front of them and failing to share the gospel with your mouth. I mean, all of it. We've got to be engaged in hospitality, and we do this with fear and trembling, all of this. We never get to the point where we think, okay, I'm I'm rolling along, I'm doing pretty good. And, And by the way, if you feel like if you feel like things are pretty good, if you feel like I'm in a good spot right now, you're probably not. And that's probably pride talking. Because any time in scripture where we see somebody in close proximity to God, the declaration in that moment is, I I am broken. I am filthy. I am so short of where I should be. Because the, the more clearly that you see the God of the universe and His character and His perfection, the more you see your imperfection. We spent some time, excuse me, we spent some time painting at our house this last week. A lot of time. And there are some places where you think, oh, that's not in too bad a shape, especially like trim. You know, nicks and scratches and dirt and all of that. And then you go over it with new paint, and you're like, oh, wow, that's a big difference. Guys, that's what coming in close proximity to the God of the universe is like. You look at your life without him, I mean, not in close proximity to him, and you think, I'm doing all right. And then you put God next to you in the perfection of his character, and it shows all of your flaws and all of your nicks and all of your dirt and all of your imperfections, not in a way that makes you feel horrible, but in a way that says he is perfect. He's divine. He's worth getting up on Sunday morning and coming together and worshiping. He's worth coming together and serving one another to show his work in me. We need to be in process with fear and trembling. 
in Weatherford with our fireplace. Last year, we had a fire built. It's probably about this time. We had a cold snap. Fire's in the living room. Ben is about a year and a half-ish, not quite. And Audrey's three and a half years old. Fire in the fireplace. Our, our living room is kind of long and skinny, and fireplace is down at the end. And Audrey would sit in the living room with the fireplace going and in, enjoyed the fire. I mean, it's neat to look at, right? Always changing, never the same. And it's warm. She would not get close to it. Didn't want any part of being around it because she was afraid of it. And what made it more interesting, you try to keep an 18-month-old contained and away from this half of the room, any time that Ben would begin to step toward the fire, Audrey would be freaking out. No! No, don't let him, Mom! Stop him! I mean, she's freaking out because she's afraid for him. Like, she loved to watch it, but there was a fear and an awe toward fire on her part. Guys, when it says work out your salvation with fear and trembling, it means that we're not afraid that God's going to strike us down with lightning. But it means that we come before him with a reverence that says, I know that you've shown me grace through faith in Jesus, but you don't have to, and I don't deserve it. And you could justly say that's the end of it and enact justice. We work out our salvation. We pursue Christ's likeness with fear and trembling. And don't worry, these next two are a little shorter. God's work empowers us to do so. So that's the tension is, Yes, we've got to work out our salvation, and that's the command that's given us, but we remember that it is God who works in you both to will and to work. So if you're thinking, man, I can't read enough Bible, I can't evaluate my life enough, I can't understand enough about God to be more like Him, to be in awe and reverence before Him, you remember that God's at work in you to pursue Christ-likeness. And your efforts on your own to be like Jesus are like this. I mean, you're, but when God is at work in you and gives some weight to the effort that you put forth, that's where the change takes place. He says both to will and to work. I'm reminded, I heard this example, not mine, I wish it was mine, talking about temptation and desire and sin. And temptation is only temptation because of desire. For instance, if I had a bowl of rocks in front of me, I'm not tempted to eat that. Because I don't have a desire to eat rocks. One, I know it's going to turn out well, poorly, not well, poorly for my teeth. I'm not going to have any teeth left. Two, there's no taste, there's no nutritional value. I mean, I'm just not wired to desire to eat rocks. It's not a temptation for me. But you put a pecan pie and a slice of chocolate cake and some iced sugar cookies and some homemade fudge all on a plate, 
And, and listen, I can name off any sweet thing in that I'm an equal opportunity sweet eater, okay? You put a plate full and a bowl full of that, man, I'll eat until I'm sick. Because my desire is to eat those things. And so when it's sitting there, it is a temptation not to chow down on it. When it says that it is God who wills and works, he has the ability to will, to work on our will and our desires. So where, where there is struggle for you, if it's lust, if it's materialism, meaning that you love stuff and you want more, I mean, if it's eating, it could be alcohol. In our day and age, listen, marijuana is everywhere. It could be anything that you desire, that you're tempted by, where, where there is sin in your life. It is God who can work in you to help you overcome, to remove those temptations. We've got to ask God, this thing is eating my lunch. You need to help me. Take this away from me. And he may not take it away right then, but it's a continual pursuit. We are working out our salvation. God, I need your power to show up in this instance. God, I've really been angry with my wife lately, and I really need you to help me with that. I need you to give me some patience. God, anything, you fill in the blank. God works in us to help us to be more like Jesus. So the effort that we put forward in that regard is working, is powerful. He works in us. He empowers us. So we resolve to be more like Jesus. We trust that God will fuel our efforts to do so. And then we're driven by and fueled by the supremacy of Jesus. The supremacy of Christ beckons us into that. And here's how we get there. You say, I, don't, I didn't hear Jesus in these two verses. It was in the therefore in verse 12. Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed and so now, not only in my presence, but more in my absence, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Why? Why work out my salvation? Why trust God's power in us? Why, Paul? Therefore, if you go back to verse 5 in this chapter, have this mind among yourself, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who being in the very nature of God, did not consider equality with God a thing to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking on the form of a servant and being found in human likeness. He walked out. He was obedient, becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God exalted him and gave him a name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee would bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Therefore, because of who Jesus is and what he's done, because he laid down his life, not only in his death, but in his living, he took the ridicule by loving people that were unlovable. We take the ridicule by loving people that are unlovable. We intersect our lives with people whose lives are messy. Not in an irresponsible way, but in a I want to show you the love of Jesus kind of way. We do it because of who Christ is and what he's done. 
Christ's supremacy, that His reign over us all, over all things, beckons us and draws us into becoming more like Him. So the question is, have you begun the process? Are you still trying to work things out on your own? Doing enough good things to make up for all of your misgivings, all of your shortfalls, all of your sin? Or have you come to the point where you realize Jesus' sacrifice was for you and you're trusting that you put away trying to make up for yourself? Where are you at in the process of becoming more like him? Would you resolve this year to be more like Jesus, to spend more time in his word, to be engaged in community, in Sunday school or village groups, in serving, in loving others? All the while, you're trusting God's power in you. It's not you who gets up in the morning when your alarm goes off to read the Bible, but God motivating you, and when you don't feel like it, you go, God, help me get out of this bed because I need to go read before I have to get ready for work and go to work or take care of the kids, or whatever it is that you're doing. And that you're reminded and you're drawn in by who Jesus is and what he's done to be more like him. Where are you at? What sin do you need to put away this morning through the power of God to be more like Jesus? Where do you need to pick up on each one of those things? My prayer is, as we conclude, if you know my God is telling you right now you've never trusted Christ in faith, you're, does, you, you deserve at this moment God's justice. And would you take that step of trusting Jesus in faith and begin this process of being made like Christ, of being made new, of being saved from yourself and from your sins, becoming more like him? Let's pray. Father God, I thank you for your word. I thank you for your encouragement toward us. God, I thank you that, one, that we are called to supply effort. But that without your power at work in us, our efforts to put away sin, our efforts to be more like Jesus, our efforts to do all of these things are futile will not accomplish anything. So be at work in us. As you say, it is God who works in us to will and to work. So God, help us. I pray that those who have not trusted you in faith would lay down their lives before you, would surrender their lives to you, even this morning. God, that you would impress that upon their minds, that they know that they need to do that. God, in this moment, be glorified in yourself. We pray these things in Christ's name. Amen.